me in prayer, please. Lord God, you arose from the dead. Hallelujah. Christ arose. We give you all glory and honor and praise this resurrection morning. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon us that you would um, allow your spirit to move amongst us and help us, lead us in worshiping you in spirit and in truth, authentically and uh, genuinely, Lord, we pray that we would be true worshipers today of the risen Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, again, we uh, ask you to uh, uh, fill out one of these connection cards. You'll find these in the, the back of the, the pew back there in front of you. And if, especially if you're with us maybe for the first time, you're visiting, we would love to know who you are. We, we so appreciate you coming to worship with us today. So please grab one of those and, and fill that out. And uh, we will be in contact with you just thanking you for being a part of our worship service today. So please fill one of those out and uh, put that in the offering plate at the end of the service. The offering plates will not be passed, but they are located in the exits uh, on, on your way out, okay? Well, we're going to uh, continue with another choral and orchestra song that reminds us of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary.
Amen, amen. Well, up to this point, uh, we have been doing all the playing of music and singing for you. It's my conviction as a worship pastor that Resurrection Sunday doesn't truly begin until all of God's saints join in worship. And so let's join together our hearts and our voices. Would you stand with me? This is an old Easter tradition. Let's say it together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Again, He is risen. all know this great Charles Wesley Easter morning hymn. Let's sing it together. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Sons of men and angels say We sing about the risen Lord today, amen? amen? But because of the risen Lord, we too can have 
that eternal life. Romans 6 tells us that. And so let's sing about that today as well, all right? I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not. All my failures I tried to hide It was my tomb Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day
That's the second time that I've heard that song, and I can't wait for the third time, right? (laughs) Yes, so uh, praise the Lord uh, for our choir, Brother David, instrumentalist, blessing to exalt the Lord, the God who saves. Romans chapter 4, if you'll make your way to the book of Romans, our scripture text will be Romans 4, verses 13 through 25, perhaps You've never heard a sermon out of Romans 4 on Easter Sunday morning, but you will today, okay? This is the word of the Lord, beginning in Romans 4, verse 13. For the promise of Abraham, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead and calls into into existence the things that do not exist. You see that, folks? Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is for you folks, verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. He was delivered up for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. Who or what must we believe to be right with God? Who or what must we believe in order to be right? With God. Scholars believe that the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. Perhaps some 4,000 years old. As a matter of fact, scholars say that the Hebrew text is really what's called Paleo Hebrew, meaning that it's different from what you see Genesis through uh, Malachi. It's a different script. And so it's very old. So my question is. Has it always been the same answer for how a man is made right with God? Because Job says this in chapter 9, verse 2. 
How then can a man be in the right before God? After Job had dealt with the God of glory, he asked this question. How can a man be in the right before God? Job will say, if I wash myself with snow water and cleanse myself before him, my flesh would still abhor me in the presence of this awesome and holy God. The NLT says of Job 9:2, how can I be declared innocent before God? I think that's very important for all of us this morning, don't you? Aren't, don't you think that? God, how can we be right before you? So the passage before us, Romans 4, deals with the justification of Abraham. Make it simple. What does justified mean? If you're justified before God, you're made right before God. So Paul is going to labor in chapter 4 and deal with this justification. Why? Because he wants, us, he wants to show us that justification with God, being right with God, is, and faith is not a new work. It's the way that mankind has always been made right with God. It's always been by grace through faith. So Abraham's righteous standing is a model for all of us sitting in this room today. On the basis of Abraham's model, Paul will begin to develop the truth that when God saves people, grace demands faith. Grace, if you're to be saved, the grace of God extended to you demands faith for God to save by grace. The response of the sinner must be compatible with the gift. And the gift of grace is free. So in order to get it, it won't be works. It will be faith and belief in the Lord. So this is why salvation cannot be grace plus something else. It never can be grace plus mass. Or grace plus sacraments. Or grace plus anything else. It has to be grace plus nothing in order for us to be saved. So the moment grace is inserted into the equation of how God would save sinners to credit us with righteousness, it rules out, in quotes, something else. That's the point of the passage of Scripture. Just let your eyes move back up to verse 4 of chapter 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Boy, verse 5 is so important. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. See how clear that is? How clear Paul makes this understanding that if you insert anything else into the equation of how God saves sinners, then you've annulled the work of grace. It's the work of grace that saves by faith. So Paul will explain that since salvation is by grace, since it's by God's free and sovereign gift, then the response of the sinner must be faith. I hope you get it, folks. If the gift is grace, then the com you have to have a compatible response. And that response must be, according to the Bible, belief and faith in the Lord. Now, question, why faith? Why not something else? Why not works? Well, faith is trusting the promise of the one who saves. Faith is not a work. Faith is relying upon the one who has the authority to save in order for him to save you. Faith is relying upon him. So, when you get to verse 23, look how clear it is. Uh, or, uh, verse 16, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. 
and be guaranteed to the offspring. So Genesis 15, 6. How many of you ever read that verse? It goes all the way back to Abraham. And this is what Paul quotes. Abraham believed God and it was given to his credit, accounted to him, righteousness. So God had us in view when Moses was inspired by God to write these scriptures. Do you all see how clear it is? This is so fascinating. But the words, it was counted to him, Genesis 15, 6, it was counted to him as righteousness, were not written for his sake alone, but for our sakes. Take this in today and think about this. God wants us today to take this personally. You are being addressed personally by the Lord today. It's not something we say, well, that was way back in Abraham's day, has no bearing on us. Oh, yeah, it does. It was given to his account, not for his sake only, but for our sake today. So we're going to do two things in the outline you have in your bulletin. First, let's talk about the promise that was given to Abraham on the basis of faith that resulted in righteousness. What did Abraham do? He got a promise from God, and Abraham simply believed. And Paul will make the point that Abraham believed before he was circumcised. Before the law was ever given, before circumcision was ever given, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Circumcision nor any other work has ever been what gives man a basis of right relationship with God. It's never been that way. So note verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence these things that do not exist, Abraham believed in one who gives life to the dead, calls into being that which does not exist. Now what was the immediate focus of Abraham? Your offspring shall be as numerous as the sands on the shore, right? So it was the immediate thing in Abraham's mind was the birth of who? Isaac. That was the thing that was foremost in his mind. So what do we know about the condition of Abraham at this time? The first time he gets the promise, he was 75. Anybody want to start a family at 75? Kind of late, right? Talk about being the oldest man in the nursery, picking up your kid, right? 75? When he gets the promise, check it out. He was 100 when Isaac was born. Sarah was 89, almost 90. It's kind of late to start a family, isn't it? Needless to say, give birth to a nation. So in human terms, what was this? It was a pipe dream. If you begin to think about this, humanly speaking, it, it's, it's phenomenal to even consider it. But Abraham was persuaded that God could raise the dead. Abraham was fully persuaded. Notice the text. Did not waver. Had his confidence in the Lord. So we have two unavoidable facts that Abraham is facing. His body is as good as dead. And Sarah's womb is dead. And that's what Abraham faced. On both sides of the equation, Abraham faced an absolute impossibility. Abraham was impotent 
And Sarah was 45 years past menopause. What's your chances of having a baby? Humanly speaking, none. Right? John Calvin said Abraham and Sarah were closer to the grave than they were the marriage bed. Just consider this. Abraham faced the facts and he believed God anyway. Unbelievable faith. Don't you love that little expression found here? Hope against hope. He believed. Abraham had problems. Sarah had problems. And from the human perspective, God had a problem. It was going to be hard for him to overcome. <laughs> you think so? Right? So he trusted in the one who raises the dead. It was in that faith that Abraham was justified. It was in that faith that God was most glorified. It wasn't because Abraham was so great. It was because the God of grace is so great. That's the response. So this is why faith glorifies God. What does faith depend on? The trustworthiness of the person given the promise. That's why it makes God so great. So Paul's great conclusion is that all who are of the faith of Abraham are justified and the seed of Abraham and the heirs of promise. Do you all see it in the text? Abraham is the father of everyone who has faith. Have we sung the song in the nursery? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you. We used to have fun with that, right? So let's just praise the Lord. By the way, if you can't praise God on Resurrection Sunday, something bad wrong with you, right? So Paul will then apply the Old Testament principle seen in Abraham to us, starting in verse 23. So what you've heard so far is really not the sermon this morning, right? I'm just plowing the ground to get you there. But again, Genesis 15, 6 is not written just to bless Abraham. Are y'all listening? Genesis 15, 6 is, is here to bless you. That's the goal of what Paul is writing. It is to whom it will be credited. What will be credited to us? Righteousness will be credited to us when we believe the gospel. In short, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we believe that he was handed over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So from the Old Testament perspective, it's going to be credited to us. You see how amazing this is. All the way back, millenniums, God was speaking to us and telling us that the same way that Abraham was made right before God is the same way we're made right with God. However, the only difference is you know full well the promise that ultimately would be given because you look back on it. It is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So check the similarity out between the faith of Abraham and ours. Abraham believed in the God who can bring life from death. This was true with the conception of Isaac, but also true when Abraham raises the knife on Mount Moriah to plunge it through his son's throat. God would provide himself a lamb. But if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you will find in verse 17 that Abraham believed that if God took Isaac, he would raise him again. Why? He made a promise that through Isaac will your offspring begin. And Abraham took it to the bank that God made the promise. So here's the parallel. Abraham trusted in the promise of him who can raise the dead. If you ought to be saved and you are saved today, then you trusted in the promise of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And just so 
I clarify something about uh, sins under the old covenant and how someone like Abraham could be saved, listen to chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 15. Just listen close. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Who is he? Jesus Christ. So that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. What is the first covenant? The Old Testament covenant, right? How were they saved? There was a will that had already been written. Hello! And that will was actually enacted when Jesus Christ came forth from the grave. But the will already was final. It was already processed. It just took the death. So folks, Abraham was saved by Christ Jesus and his death, life, life, death, burial, and resurrection. Just like you are. He, be he believed that God could raise the dead. Now let's bring this over to us today. So the promise was given to Abraham on the basis of faith resulting in righteousness. Here's the deal. The promise was given for our sake. So he wraps it up. In other words, he wants you to understand this is not just some account written way back in the day, but it has instruction for us today. This is the Christian gospel in its most compact form. Listen to it. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Christ from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Folks, you just read the gospel. He, he was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. The object of Abraham's faith was God's promise. The object of our faith is the fulfillment of God's promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Folks, hear me clearly. The only faith that saves us is faith that is grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's a crucial point. The Christian faith rests on the reality of two events. One is the death of Christ on the cross, and second is the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ that guaranteed you a right standing before God. How can man be made right with God? God has to take the initiative. God must give what God requires. And that's what he does in the person and work of Christ. So let's see these two things regarding what the promise is to us. First, we trust the one who accomplished our redemption. Look at the passage. He was delivered over, put to death. Delivered for our transgressions. I want you to see this clearly. It's easy to bump over this. Yeah, Jesus died. Wow. He died. Right? What does the text say? He was delivered up. He was given over. Here is what you need to see. His death was a death by design. Is everybody listening? His death was death by design. What do I mean by that? Who took Jesus' life? Was it Pilate? Well, technically would say, we could say, just like it does in Acts 2, that Pilate was morally culpable, right? He, he handed him over to be crucified. What about Herod? Could we say that Herod was morally culpable in the death of Christ? Yes. What about the Jews? What about the soldiers? But I want you to understand something clearly. It was God Almighty who designed the death of the Son of God. It was, it was God who delivered him up. It was God who put him to death. 
This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why Resurrection Sunday is so awesome and powerful. So God just didn't come down and go look for somebody murdered on a tree and then raise them from the dead. It was designed. The Son of God was sent into this world. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. So a reminder, Acts 2.23 says, it was determined, He was handed over according to the predetermined counsel of God. His design was to deal with our sins. Let this sink upon you today. Let it sink into your mind. It was the Father who delivered the Son up to sacrificial, substitutionary death. God desired to provide a substitute death so that we would not have to die for our transgressions. Has anybody been here for the Ephesians series? Hello, right? We're through with chapter 1, we're into chapter 2, and we've learned in chapter 2 that we were dead, enslaved, and under the wrath of God. We were dead in trespasses and sin. I hope you see the strength of this passage. He was delivered up for your trespasses. He was delivered up because you were dead, enslaved, and under the wrath of God. So he bears our sins on the cross in our place. And the only death that could have done this and accomplished redemption was the death of the perfect Son of God who knew no sin. Consider this. God provides what he requires. God does not sweep sin under the rug. Sins are not overlooked. They are, in fact, condemned. But here's the glory of the gospel, folks. You need to be very thankful that the sins were not condemned in you. He was delivered up for your transgressions. The condemnation that you deserve, he took on himself. That's what it means to be delivered up for our trespasses. They brought about an execution. Sins bring about an execution. But praise God, not mine if you're in Christ. Not yours if you're in Christ. It brings about an execution. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the one executed for our sins. We are rescued from the penalty of hell. We are ransomed from the judgment of God. And I want to remind you, we didn't deserve any of this redemption. It's not something mankind deserved. I am so thankful for the mercy of God. The mercy of God. It is through the mercy of God that God has birthed you into a living hope. It is the mercy of God that reached out to sinners. So, God designed to save us from our sins through the death of His Son. He was delivered because of our sins. But that's not all. He was raised for our justification. Now, let's be honest. When we think about redemption, when we think about being justified before God, or that big doctrine of justification, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? He did it at the cross. It, It was the cross that justified us and gave us a new standing before God. When we think of justification, when we think of forgiveness of sins, what's the first thing we think about? The cross. When we think about adoption into God's family, we think about the cross. But I want to remind you today that this text says he was raised for our justification. That's different than we usually think. It's odd to look down and see that on the text. In the text, we usually think he died for our justification. This says he was raised for our justification. Do you realize that once you get to the book of Acts... There is a mention of the cross, but what is the primary theme throughout the book of uh, Acts? It's the resurrection. That's what 
the, the writers turned their attention to, the resurrection. Because if he did not come forth from the grave, nothing that he did on the cross would matter. If he had not come forth from the grave, we are actually still in our sins. So we have to see the resurrection as the central event of all time in order for us to know that our sins are forgiven and that we are right with God. Christ paid the penalty for our sins. That's justification. You understand there's basically two things to think about when you say what is justification? What does it mean to be right with God? Well first, the penalty has to be given. I mean the payment for the penalty. And Christ's death pays that penalty. But there's a secondary thing and that's Christ's perfect obedience. You understand you could not have obeyed the law perfectly ever. Just go ahead and start one time, you're done. Very first command, you blow it, right? Jesus Christ, the righteous one, came and he lived perfectly in obedience to his Father and never, ever sinned. So folks, when the Father looks at you, if you're saved, he sees what? The perfect obedience of his Son. And that perfect obedience is given to you for your righteous standing. That's what it means to be justified. However, this text says that he was raised for our justification. Now, how are we justified? Is it by faith in faith? There are people out in the world who believe if you just have faith, then you're fine before God. Now, folks, listen clearly. If your faith is not in Jesus Christ and Him alone, there is no true faith. It's not faith in faith. You're justified by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I have a question for you. That would mean that our faith is valid or invalid based upon who we put our faith in. If Jesus would have stayed in the grave, ladies and gentlemen, your faith is invalid. That's how important it is to see that Jesus Christ was raised for our justification. If he would have remained in the tomb, he would not be the object of justifying faith. He would simply be a victim that was caught on the wheels of life and couldn't get out of the situation. And oh, little poor Jesus who had to die, he was just a victim of terrible injustice. But I want to remind you that he was delivered up from God. He was delivered up. Justifying faith can only be in a living person. It's not justifying faith if he's still in the grave. It's justifying faith because he lives. Here's the second thing. It's our union with Christ that makes us justified. Well, folks, if you're united to a dead Savior, how is he going to save anybody? You've got to be united with Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. It is our union with Jesus that guarantees the fact that we are actually in union with him. And he's got to be alive in order for that to take place. Our justification must be embodied in the one that is alive. Not dead. Therefore, it is not enough to only believe that Jesus died for your sins to be saved. Did y'all hear that, church? It's not enough just to say, we, we get this rote memory. Well, Jesus died for my sins, I trust him. What about the resurrection? You believe that too? Right? This text says he was raised for our justification. Folks, that means if he, if he did not come out of the grave, then we are not justified. If he didn't come out of the grave, we are not saved. As a matter of fact, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, if Jesus is not raised, then we are still in our sins. He he will say this, "If if Jesus did not come forth from the grave, then our faith is absolutely empty. Here's the deal, Jesus could not mediate justifying grace 
if he's still under the power of grace. He can't be our mediator. He can't justify. He can't save if he's still in the grave. But I want to remind you, our king is the living mediator, and he is in body in heaven on his throne. And that's how he has, that's how he has the capability to save. Now, here's an interesting twist. Not only are you justified because he's raised, but do you understand that his resurrection was also his justification? Y'all realize that? His resurrection was his justification. Allow me to show you. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It'd be good if you laid your eyes on this one on Easter Sunday morning. Listen to the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Most scholars believe this is an old Christian hymn. That's telling us about all that Christ has accomplished. Listen, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Check this out. He was manifested in the flesh. What do we call that? The incarnation. Manifested in the flesh. Y'all know what that's called, Christmas? Everybody with me? Do y'all know what Christmas is? Right? That we, that we, that we uh, celebrate? Well, it's because of the incarnation of Jesus. That's called manifested in the flesh. Check this out. He was justified in the spirit. Your translation may say vindicated. The kayo is the same word. Same word used for raised for our justification is the exact same word used that Jesus Christ was justified in the spirit. Why is this important? How did the Jews view Jesus' death upon the cross? Deuteronomy says, Cursed is any man who is hanged upon a tree. How did they view the death of Jesus? Well, they viewed it as an assessment of how God saw Christ. It, as a human being, you were, Isaiah 53, smitten of God. Accursed. That's what they saw. They saw Jesus as an ordinary criminal that was under the condemnation of God. And here's the deal. He was under the condemnation of God. That's the deal. But not because of his sin, but because of yours and mine. So the Jewish mind would have said, you're a common criminal. You're dying an ordinary, common, cruel death of crucifixion. And cursed is any man who is hung upon a tree. Do you remember what Jesus cried on the cross? It's called the cry of dereliction. What was it? My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Do y'all realize that God was speaking from the cross? God was speaking with clarity from the cross. And then Jesus cries, it is finished. If you've got eyes of faith today, you know what that means. He finished our redemption. It's paid in full. But for a Jew, they probably thought that day, well, it's over. He just gave up. He's an ordinary human being who thought he was the Messiah. But here's the deal. They take his body down and they lay it in the tomb. Are y'all tracking with me? From all appearances, it looks like he still is under the condemnation of God. Crucified like a regular ordinary criminal. Placed in a tomb. He's dead and he's gone. It's removed. Condemnation is removed in resurrection. Y'all listening? This is what Paul means when he says he was justified by the Spirit in 1 Timothy 3. It proves that Christ was just. The supreme consequences of all of our sin reached his culmination in the cross. 
Resurrection annuls the sentence of condemnation on Christ. And if you're saved today, that's the only way you can be saved is that God Almighty annuls the condemnation of your sin by his glorious resurrection from the grave. Hallelujah. This is why you're able to take part in saving benefits. His death, that he died, he died once for all, never to die again. On the cross, the Father's making a declaration. Do you feel it? Do you see it? He's declaring the depth of your sin. That's why Christ is suspended between heaven and earth. Because of the depth of our sins. But he's also speaking about holy justice. Just like Job said, how can a man be made right with God? God is not only holy, he's holy, holy. He's not only holy, holy, he is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is so holy, Habakkuk says, he cannot even look upon sin. And here on the cross, God is making a declaration. Not just holy justice, not just righteousness, but how about love? God is speaking. For in this manner God loved the world. Here's the language of sacrifice. That he, y'all know the verse, gave. So God is speaking from the cross in this redemptive act. What the Father says at the cross is that he was delivered up for our transgressions. He was condemned with our condemnation. He died the death that you deserve because you are dead in trespasses and sin. These are the declarations made at the cross. However, God's not through. His body is taken down and placed in the tomb. And then there is silent Friday. And then there is silent Saturday. But on the first day of the week, the Father has something else to say. He speaks in very clear terms. Anybody read through the Gospels this week? On the resurrection occurrences. I can't help it. I told David, I said, we've got to put at least one of them up this morning for people to read. Did you read it this morning before we, as we were singing? Just one account of the resurrection. Some of the things where the Father speaks. What about the earthquake? I mean, here's these Roman soldiers that, man, that was their job to put the signet on the grave and to protect it. And all of a sudden, the Bible says an earthquake ensued and they stood there like dead men. They fell back on their back, knocked their tunics straight off their bodies. Power of God. God is speaking. And then an angel speaks to them. And then the manifest presence of the Son of God, fresh from the trauma of the grave. Can you see God speaking to us? After three days, that lifeless body of Christ has the life-giving power of the Spirit come back into a dead corpse. Folks, we ought to rejoice that our God overcame death. There'll be no graves dug into the hillsides of heaven. Jesus made sure of that on Easter Sunday morning. Amen? No graves in the hillsides of heaven. And furthermore, his resurrection, his payment for your sins, is the only way that man can be forgiven of their sins. There are no other roads that lead to heaven, no matter what the world says. So what he has done on our behalf, the Father accepts it. Look, folks. There's no signature of approval of the sacrifice if he didn't come forth from the grave. That's why it's so vital for you to see that, all right? And your condemnation is annulled when you put your faith in Jesus Christ the Lord, just as his condemnation was annulled. The empty tomb thoroughly guarantees the Father's acceptance of you. It's good news for saved people today. Did you know that you can never be condemned before God? If God condemns you in Christ, that means he condemns his own son. That's how important it is for you to be in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You can never be condemned if you're saved. That would require God to condemn His only Son. Because He was raised for our justification. You will have a righteousness if you believe in God, that He will credit you with His righteousness. If you believe the promise of God, which is what? That Jesus Christ was delivered for your transgressions, raised for your justification. You will have a righteousness not of your own, but of Christ. Listen, folks. In your own righteousness, on your best day, as good as you could possibly be, you're just a hamster on a wheel running, 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 and getting nowhere. You will never be able in your own righteousness to stand before a holy God. You must have the righteousness of Jesus imputed to your account. You must have the righteousness of Christ. How can a man be made right with God? you got to have righteousness given to you. How was Abraham right with God? He believed God that he could take something dead, a womb, a man, and make it alive. And what did God do? He brought forth the Son of God from the grave. Thus you believe that promise. You believe that he bore your sins in his body on the tree, and you put your trust in him. Folks, are you willing to believe the promise of God? Are you willing to act upon that promise? Are you willing to stake your life on the person and work of Jesus Christ to be made right with God? All of our goodness, the Bible says, is as of filthy rags. You don't have enough good in your ledger to even compare to what you need in order to go to heaven. It's impossible. For by grace are we saved through faith. And that not of ourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So my cry to you today, I appeal to you on the authority of the Bible. Trust his cross as the penalty Paying the penalty for your sin debt. Thank him for paying that penalty. Acknowledge the truth that he came forth from the grave. Trust him to give you a righteousness in the place of your sin. Hallelujah for the gospel. Dr. David Seamans tells of a Muslim who became a Christian in Africa. Now catch this. He's a Muslim. Islam. Not not Christianity. And his friend, he comes to Christ And becomes a Christian. And his friends say to him, why did you become a Christian? And here was his answer. I love this. Well, it's like this. He said, suppose you were going down the road. And suddenly, the road forked in two directions. And you didn't know which way to go. And there in the fork of that road were two men. One dead and one alive. And here's his comment. Which one would you ask directions from? Yeah, it is funny, but it's the reality. Folks, all religions don't lead to heaven. As a matter of fact, there are no religions that lead to heaven. There is a relationship with a living Lord that leads to heaven. And I'm telling you, folks, you better trust the one who conquered death if you're ever going to be saved. You better put your faith in the one who knows life, who knows direction, who entered in to our humanity, taking on human flesh and dying in our stead that we might be saved. So that's the one you need to follow. You need to follow the one who conquered death and came forth from the grave. Hallelujah for the gospel. Here, let this stick in your mind. He was delivered up for our transgressions. He was raised for our justification. Praise God for the gospel. Father, would you seal this message in our hearts for believers that we would worship you for who you are and the glory of the gospel. That you would save good for nothing rotten sinners like us. We didn't deserve mercy. 
we deserve punishment. We are so thankful for the promise of God who raises the dead. You raised our dead hearts. We were dead in trespasses and sin. You took out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, for regeneration. We thank you for birthing us into your family. Lord, we thank you for the prospect of heaven. Lord, if there's an individual under the sound of my voice that's lost, Lord, let that ring in their mind, delivered up by God for our transgressions. Raised, hallelujah, for our justification. It's in your great name that we pray this prayer, Lord Jesus. Amen. Brother Dave is going to lead us in a song, uh, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, right? That can happen for you to do How can you be made right with God? He was delivered up for your transgressions. Acknowledge that. Believe that. He was raised for your justification. Put your faith in the one who conquered death. Turn from sin. Trust Jesus only for salvation. You can be saved today. You can leave this place actually right with God. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Let's stand to our feet. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieve. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone. I've been set my God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing rain. Why is it important for you to respond? Two things. The uncertainty of life. You're not promised tomorrow. And even if you are going to live past tomorrow, there's also the brevity of life. James says life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment like a morning fog and it burns away. What guarantees you'll be here tomorrow? What guarantees that you'll ever hear the gospel again in your life? I want to remind you folks, don't delay. If the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to your heart of your need for Christ, your need to turn from sin and self and trust Jesus only, please do not delay. Let's sing one more verse. The Lord has promised good to me, His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be, as long as life endures. My chains are gone, and my chains are gone, I've been set
amazing grace. I started to say I'm glad you chose to come today, but I think, uh, if I read my Bible correctly, you're not here by accident, mm. right? The Lord God of eternity brought you here today, and I'm thankful for that, that you heard the word. Uh, one final word for us to consider is this. What was it that took those 120 early disciples who were nestled inside of an upper room, scared to death for their lives, and turned them into a band that would not fear death and take the gospel to the ends of the earth no matter how difficult, right? Right? What did that? Not a dead Savior, right? What was the transformation? It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That ought to speak to our hearts in regard to our commitment to make disciples in this world and not be closed mouthed and shut up about the gospel and not be ashamed of the gospel but to speak the gospel if you treasure Christ and the gospel and he is your all satisfying treasure then you can't help but tell other people if he's satisfied your longings and you you want others in this world to get that longing satisfied no matter who they are red yellow black and white everybody needs to hear the gospel and trust Jesus amen so I hope that will be an encouragement to you we serve a risen Savior. He's in the Lord. He's in the world today, right? He's alive. To God be the glory. Brother David. Amen. You all have a blessed resurrection day. Remember to pray for those who are coming to the 11 o'clock service. Amen. God bless.